Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. Simone Govender is a pop singer-songwriter based in Johannesburg. She teaches music on the side, and I heard her exquisite voice at a Saturday morning market, and I knew that I had to have a conversation. And she's in studio now. Hi, Simone. Hello. <laughs> Let's start right at the beginning. What led you to music? So I have always been like sort of... Oh. You know, when you have this conversation so many times over the years and mm-hmm. everyone asks the same thing, yeah. you sort of have it rehearsed. Yes. But it still sort of phases you when someone asks you. It's like when someone says, play a song, and you know like hundreds of songs, and then when they ask you, it's like you blank out. Mm-hmm. Point that I was trying to make mm-hmm. is that I always knew that I wanted to be a performer. Yeah. Like from a young age, I remember my parents sending me for speech and drama. And when I was f- around five, I started piano lessons, but... I think I knew that music is where I wanted to be when I was 14 and I just learned how to play the guitar and I learned my first song and I felt all this warmness and fuzziness in my heart. <laughs> so instruments, piano, vocals and guitar. guitar. Yes. Those are your three. And are you musically trained or kind of some lessons, some self-taught or a music degree? Um, no, actually. I had lessons in piano for a couple of years. And then when we moved to Joburg, I stopped them. Um, and I just kept going by ear because it was, I found that it was better for me, especially when I was younger and I remember my piano teachers. So back in the day, they would smack your hands whenever mm-hmm. you're looking at your fingers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would get frustrated with me because when I had to sight read, I was so bad at it. But then when they would play the song, it was much easier for me to catch on. Yeah. So I decided to just teach myself everything else and I would go around during our lunch breaks and ask someone who already knew, can you please teach me a chord? And eventually I learned all of these chords and were able to put them into a sequence. And I'm like, well, this is exciting. That is exciting. And you said move to Joburg. Where were you born? I am from Durban. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And so how old were you when you moved here? I think I was around 11. Musical early influences. Who were you listening to? (laughs) So I've had my phases mm-hmm. <laughs> when I've had my Disney phase. So I was really, really inspired by Hannah Montana and High School Musical and Camp Rock and all of those vibes. And when I started playing guitar, like my entire music mind just shifted mm. and I started listening to a lot of rock music. So ACDC, <laughs> Metallica, and then the punk rock like Blink-182 and Linkin Park. And the reason why I gripped onto their music so quickly was how honest they were in their lyrics. Yeah. And at the time, you're a teenager, you have no idea how to tell someone how you feel. And I am someone who just genuinely struggles with that and I find writing it down much easier. Yeah. And when I found songs that could actually say word for word what was going on inside my head I clung to that and I can honestly say that it did save my life at one point because you get frustrated and when you feel like something is wrong with you I mean that's very beautifully put do you find that's one of the reasons you write now 
100% yes. <laughs> um, I know what music did for me when I was growing up. And even till this day, you don't feel alone. And I just hope and pray that my music does the same for somebody else. Very beautiful. Three to five highlights of your career so far, your music career. Wow. <laughs> it's really hard to like channel them down. But I think the first one would be in 2016. It was the first time I had a taste of what like a crowd was. Mm. Only because my friend invited me to play a song or two um, during their poetry reading. So this is like a story. And <laughs> yeah. Anyways, there was a music festival happening at the same venue. So it was at Monte Casino when Scoobs was still open. Yeah. And he was hosting his poetry reading at the time. And he's like, no, Simone, come and play a song. And the time slot that they gave me was sort of the same time as one of my favorite bands and because they were running late now I started to panic because I don't I didn't want to miss my my favorite band and I shook him up a little bit and be like can I please go on now so I can leave and he's like okay fine then I played my song and I ran and I'm someone who is not sport inclined uh-huh. I don't run if there had to be a zombie apocalypse I will sacrifice myself for everyone else to get away because I know I'm not that fast yeah. but as soon as my set was done with my two songs I ran really fast and managed to catch like the last two songs of the band I was playing it was good luck and I started posting covers on Instagram at the, during that time because you know it's every musician's dream to be discovered you mm-hmm. know on YouTube and Instagram and I think Everyone was just getting into that whole Instagram craze. And I still had my guitar on my back. And I ran to the other side of Monte Casino. And she recognized me for my covers. And she called me. And I thought she just wanted to have a conversation. And she's like, we want you to play a song. <gasps> when I listened back to that recording, I sound terrible. But it it was like, it was something that I will never forget. And wow. I'm so grateful to her for giving me that opportunity and since then I think it also showed my parents that this is where I was supposed to be and I wasn't just like making it up all in my head Mm. I think that was in September and then I got booked for my first professional gig January 2017 which is my second highlight and that was at the Starbucks sessions when they were still having it in Rosebank Mm. and I opened for Jesse Clegg wow amazing (laughs) I hope he still remembers me. I'm not sure, but it's been a long time. <laughs> Another highlight would be the Splashy Fen Festivals. Yeah. Like every year that I've played, I've played two and then I'm lucky enough to go this year again. Amazing. I don't know. It's just the culture that the people bring to the festival and they're so supportive. And regardless of whether you're playing a fast song or a slow song or a rock song or a rap song, they just sing their hearts out with you. And that really, like, it's really something special. <laughs> That is special. And so for those festival sets, do you play solo or with a band? Uh, solo. Okay. Guitar, piano? Guitar. I'm more confident in my guitar because mm. it's also very handy to move around because lugging a piano wherever you go, yeah, it's not, it's not fun. <laughs> so the first time I saw you, you were obviously doing a set of covers at the market. When you play live, do you do a mix? I do. So I have recently released two singles. Mm-hmm. Um, one last year and the year before. I say recently like it was yesterday. <laughs> um, but I think it's sort of still recent. Yeah. And I started finding the courage to play my own songs now. I think we 
especially when you put your heart on a piece of paper and into a sound, it can be very daunting and you're scared of that rejection. Yeah. But I had to tell myself that, you know, I shouldn't be ashamed of them because it's a part of me and I shouldn't be ashamed of myself. So I'm learning to get over that hurdle. Wonderful. And the singles you've released, have you released them yourself or under labels? All independently. Okay. That brings me to the business side. <laughs> How involved are you in the business side of the music? So I try to do as much as I can in terms of researching whether you should do it independently or find a company to do it for you. So the first two songs that I have released like years ago, they were projects mm. and I did all of the releasing and stuff on my own. But for the recent two, we used a PR company mm -hmm. and also we went the more professional side in terms of recording as well. And you do see a difference because it helps having a PR company behind you because they've already made those contacts and it's not like a brand new person. Mm -hmm. And the radios who's receiving these singles can trust them because they would give them quality tracks. So in that sense, it, it really helps having a PR company behind you. But at the same time, it's like a 50-50 gamble. Like it's either they're going to reject or accept. Mm. So regardless... <laughs> I think maybe for the first two, you want to you wanna use a PR company, but then because you've already got your name out there and they've helped you build this reputation. And then I think maybe once you feel ready to do the admin, all of that side of things, you can start doing it on your own. How easily do you think that information is available? I think you have to know how to ask the questions because this is going to sound so bad of me, but... The music industry can sort of be selfish mm -hmm. and people like to keep things to themselves and they don't want to help other people because they see it as a competition. And I think that's the one thing that we as South African artists should break because at the end of the day, we're the only ones who know what we're going through because we're in it. Mm -hmm. And if we're not there for each other, it's never going to get any better. Yeah. And when someone asks me for help, especially like trying to find gigs and stuff and advice on what to do, I make sure I give it because when I was starting out, I had no idea what I was doing. And it it can put a damper on your spirit. Mm. So I think we should be more open to talking about it, if that makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. What inspires your songwriting? Whenever someone asks me that, it's always mental breakdown verse. Mental breakdown, mental breakdown, chorus, bridge. <laughs> but I found it that if you write in the space that you're at, it comes a lot easier. And I journal a lot. So I sort of take things out of that journaling and it sort of falls into a song. So whether I'm happy or sad or angry, whatever I feel, I have to put it down on paper because I'm an overthinker. Because I will go home today and, and I will be like, I should have answered that question properly. They're going to think I'm weird. They probably think I know nothing. But <laughs> so once I put that down on paper, it makes it easier to sort of sift through. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that you can be inspired by anything. Like just watching a bird fly across the sky or like a, another song will inspire you to write something. But oh, yeah, so you find inspiration everywhere. You do. What are the hardest parts of doing this? I think having to do it by yourself. Because again, like I said before, only a musician knows what a musician is going through. And because if you're a, an overly sensitive person, 
you sort of get stuck around that. And I found myself isolating a lot. And I'm overcritical at times where I shouldn't be, especially in the writing process. I think trying to break through those little things and trying not to look for perfection is one of the hardest things I had to do, especially like going out and performing in front of people. Cause mm. you, you get so used to doing it by yourself in your room. Um, you're recording on your camera. So if you make a mistake, you delete it, you start again. But I think trying not to look for perfection was one of the hardest things I had to do. Have you ever thought about starting a band? I have, and I'm in the process of it. <laughs> I can positively say I found a drummer, even though it's t- taken me like four years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're hopefully starting that up soon and start playing together. Nice. There's something a little less lonely about having people yeah. up on stage with you. That is very true, especially when you go on tour. So I was lucky to go to Cape Town twice. Mm. And like, yeah, it's fun and stuff. Like you're going to a new city and you're doing all of these things, but it does suck doing it alone. <laughs> it can suck. That's the truth. So we were speaking about this briefly before we came on air, about an Instagram post of yours that I stumbled upon recently talking about um, when other people have opinions that are not related to the music. It's not the first time it's happened that people say things that are unnecessary. So let me, <laughs> let me say that, that most of the women I know have people coming up to them and saying things, whether it is about their opinions on the way they're dressed or on their hairstyles. The other day I played a show and a gentleman came up to me to tell me that I was doing it all wrong. And it felt so inappropriate. But, yeah, I wanted to just get a sense from you as to, you know, the story behind it for you. I think that music is supposed to be interpreted. There's not one way of looking at it. Mm. And I feel people don't realize that. And it's frustrating, especially when a song that means something to you and you do it the way that you see it. And for someone to tell you it's wrong, I feel that that is not great. I've been experiencing that like my entire life where someone would say, no, you can't sing or you're singing wrong and you're not supposed to be using your voice like that. And then there's this one comment that stuck with me because someone told me this when I was 15, someone close to me, actually. And he's like, well, if you want to be a singer, you need to lose weight because there aren't any fat singers out there. And I don't think people realize the impact their words have on you. Yeah. And obviously, like, you need to work through it. And it's it's not a butterfly industry. Mm. Like, there's no rainbows. There's no unicorns. It's never going to be pretty. Mm. And you have to remind yourself and get this thick skin so before I got into music my mom was like okay degree first and then you do whatever you want so I studied <laughs> I studied psychology mm-hmm. and that also helps me bring across some messages in my songs that I write which is amazing and also helps me with my communication yeah. before college I was a terrible communicator. Like even people ask me till till this day, like, how are you performing when you can't even say hi to someone? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) There's a reason why I'm behind that little gate and not in front of it. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, very grateful for that, even though at the time you just got out of high school and you're dead set 
on doing this music career. And I finished high school when I was 17. Yeah. And you want to rebel against your parents. And then only like halfway through my first year, I realized, okay, maybe this was a good idea because I'm not just getting this piece of paper, but I'm also getting a lot of information that's helping me. And a lot of those things helped me sort of get through all the hate that the world was throwing at me. Because mm. you don't realize how some words you forget about, but will pop up when you least expect it. And fast forward to 2017 when I started performing and then it was COVID. So during COVID, we had to get used to the whole live stream thing and it was awful. Oh my goodness. And I was just getting my communication skills on point and I was talking on stage now. And then COVID's like, no, you're going to sit in your bedroom. (laughs) And I started doing all these, all of these live streams and then you'll get people that are really supportive and then you get people that are not. Yeah. And I think because people feel there's a screen in front of their face and they can protect their identity, they can get away with saying whatever they want. Mm. And the thing is, again, they don't realize the influence their words have on people. Because I know someone who actually who actually committed suicide because of the cyberbullying. Hectic. And I, people are cruel. That's why it's so important to surround yourself with people that are going to lift you up and bring out the best in you because you're constantly hit with all of these boxes you're not ticking. They're not telling you the things you're doing right. They're immediately pointing at the things that you're doing wrong. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you're a fan of Brené Brown, but she speaks about critics that are not in the arena so you can't listen to, to someone who is not in the arena. If it's someone who is doing it, listen. But if they're not in the arena, their opinion means nothing. She is so worth listening to. You should go and listen. Brene Brown. Okay. Okay. I'm going to send you a link. Okay. <laughs> You're active in your worship group as well. Uh, musically, I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. So do you guys have a band in the church? Yes, so we lead worship on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was our only social activity during COVID, and everyone had to make sure that their temperatures were checked and their masks were on. But luckily, we didn't have to sing with a mask on because that is awful. And for people that wear glasses, (laughs) it was a nightmare. It was terrible. Is this like a choir? It's like I don't know how to sort of explain. It's like. So you get like three or four vocalists and mm. then you get two guitarists and it's like a basic, like a band structure. Okay. Do you perform live often? I try to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what do you find audience turnout like? I can say like 70% of my gigs come from markets. Okay. So thankfully, like, you know, it's not all dependent on people knowing you because uh-huh. trying to get those venues filled out is a mission yeah and sometimes like i feel that the venue does put a lot of pressure on artists to bring in the people and it sucks when the venue is not even helping the artists like in terms of marketing and all of that and i have played an event where the artist was in charge of bringing in the people mm. and i feel that it puts a lot of pressure on the artist as well because they're trying to make sure that their set is done there's enough practice going into what they're doing and to also not get help from the venue just sucks and yeah. then to get told that no it was not good enough so i'm thankful that i don't have to play a lot of gigs that revolve around artists bringing in people but i've been blessed in terms of support because 
and it's children sometimes. Like mm. this one little kid, I will never forget the story. He comes up to me and he's like, "Can you please sing Moana like the way you did in Mauritius?" And I'm like, "I don't think you're talking about me, but I will sing Moana for you." <laughs> I, t- I took it as a compliment. Like I look like Moana. Okay, cool. Sweet. Oh, that's a great story. How do you build your sets? I have a usual set that I have on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. So ever since COVID, I can't remember them off the top of my head. So I have to write them down. And my genre of music is highly built on 20% of what I listen to, because mm-hmm. not a lot of people listen to what I listen to. And then 80% of what I think people want to hear. Yeah. And the thing is, you have to be so mindful when you go to like a market or a restaurant and you have to s- literally think about each person and what you think they'd want to hear. And you can't go to, I'm trying to find the right words to put it. Mm. This is when psychology comes in. You have to look at the reaction of, I like this guy, Bill Withers. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I absolutely love his songs. And it's sort of unconventional. Yeah. So it's a very unconventional artist for me to like, because people are like, oh no, High School Musical Disney. I'm like, yeah, but there's also layers. I'm like an onion. (laughs) So I love his music. So whenever I can get a chance to play it, I will. And then if the crowd would react to a song of his, then I would be like, okay, so I can't sing a Blink-182 song because they're not going to enjoy the rock music. They want more of blues and Maroon 5. So you have to like try to read the people's minds. So then I have to push aside all of my rock songs and do more like indie and pop and blues. So now what I've also done is I would mix two songs together. Mm -hmm. Nice. (laughs) So two... And like two songs you would never think would go well together. And I do that because mainly because I can't remember all the lyrics of the song. Yes. So I had to think on my feet. And sometimes some of the mashups that I do, it's like I do it on the spot. Yeah. So, yeah, I think performing, you have to be able to read the people, especially when it comes to doing your own songs. Because unfortunately, it is the reality. If someone doesn't know the song, they're not going to be interested. Mm -hmm. So... That's why my mom always tells me, you need to speak to the people and engage them more Mm -hmm. and then tell them about your songs. Don't just chuck it underneath the carpet. (laughs) So I would try and speak to them. And if I do get a response, then I start talking about my own song and then I would sing it to them. But otherwise, you'll feel. You have to be able to feel out your people. I don't know if I landed the point that I wanted to make. No, you definitely did. How do you feel when people don't listen? Then I remind myself that there is always going to be one person because mm-hmm. I've had, I've had crowds like it'll be a massive crowd and no one would bat an eyelash. Mm. And it does, it does get to you sometimes, but then you realize that, you know, not every day is going to be a good day. Yeah. And afterwards you don't realize that there are people listening and they will come talk to you. And I didn't realize that until it happened to me. Like, I think it was also at one of the markets and it felt a bit like, you know, off-putting. But then my, that's where also my faith comes in. Mm. Whenever I sing a song, I always make sure that I'm not singing it just for myself. Mm. So my mom always told me when from the time I was young and I was doing this, she's like, do it as if you're doing it for Jesus. Mm. So I'm like, okay, so Jesus, this song is for you. Nobody's listening, but I know you are. So that also gives me the confidence to stand there and to sing. Yeah, beautiful. How many songs do you reckon are in your repertoire? 
I had to recently do accounting of that. Uh-huh. And at the moment, it's sitting about sitting at around 230. Amazing. No wonder <laughs> you forget the lyrics sometimes. Yeah, but um, now it's just a matter of actually practicing them to a point where I can actually do them without mm. being scared. Especially when you're trying out a new song and you're scared of the people's reaction. You're scared of whether or not they're going to like it or whether you're doing it justice. Because I recently started doing Fly Me to the Moon. Mm-hmm. And there is a particular style of music that song is already known for. Yeah. So I sort of like break it down and I feel like I'm the only guitarist that plays with a capel on like fret 10. Oh, you do? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, hallelujah. 100%. So I've got double jointed <laughs> fingers. So my finger actually once got locked on a barred chord and I had to sing a cappella trying to unlock my oh, my no. little finger once. So I'm like, okay, so we're not doing that. It's time to invest in a capel. Uh-huh. Well done. Yeah. So I play right up there and that's where I'm playing the song and surprisingly the people liked it and Mm. I was so nervous about it and I did make a mistake but I think you just have to make it your own Mm, because no one's gonna know and when you're trying out a new song do you have the words with you no okay brilliant brilliant (laughs) so there was this one time where I did and I rewrote that entire song Tori like I didn't even realize what I was singing and there was also another song I don't know if you know Ho Hey everybody knows it yeah Lumineers yeah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's the the second verse I didn't realize I was singing it wrong mm. so I would sing I don't think you're right for him look at what it might have been and it's a, took a bus to Chinatown and I'll be standing on canal mm. my brain did not hear that it's like took a bus to Chinatown And I'll be standing awkward now. In my dreams, you'll be standing next to me. And I always wondered why people never sung along to the second verse. Until my sister looked at me the the one day and she's like, Simone, I think you're singing it wrong. And when I looked up these lyrics, I was like, oh my goodness, I could get sued. I don't think you'd get sued. (laughs) But I like your lyrics as well. It makes more sense to be saying like, on canal or whatever i don't know (laughs) advice for other artists who are trying to do this don't be afraid to be yourself don't hold back on the music you want to release because there's always a space there's always a platform for your music to be heard and i feel like the stuff that we hear on the radio can really intimidate you and you feel like you need to match up to that but that's not the case Like someone out there is waiting for that song that you are busy writing or you're afraid to release. And that song might just save their lives. Wonderful. (laughs) And one social media link that you're most active on that people can follow you. Instagram at Simone Governor Music. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. If you are an independent artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on shotguntory.com. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. Everybody's got opinions about decisions we've made. I really need to break free from this cage. I just want to smile the roses. I just want to reach the shore. It's scrolling through these TikTok posers. But what is all that really? Distorting the reality Hit me with a tag